The stories in this book have been told and retold, cherished and revered by literally billions of people over thousands of years. People have devoted their entire lives to studying this book. There are hundreds of thousands of commentaries on it. And many people believe that this book had to have been written by God. The Torah, what's so special about it? Why is it so mesmerizing? And how has it managed to capture the human imagination for millennia? I'm David Kasher, a rabbi at Ikar in Los Angeles, and together we're going to study the weekly Torah portion of the Parsha and figure out why the Torah really is the best book ever. The most important Parsha in the whole Torah is named after a foreign priest. I'm talking, of course, about Parsha Yitro this week's Torah reading. And there really is a strong case to be made that this is the most important and the most religiously significant Parsha of them all. Because this is the reading that contains the pinnacle spiritual event in Judaism, the revelation at Mount Sinai. This moment when the entire people were gathered around a mountain, surrounded by thunder and fire, and they experienced God's presence there in some intense way, and then they heard the voice of God, deliver the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, you shall have no other gods before me. This is, you might say, the moment upon which the rest of the religion is founded. Because the great theological starting point for Judaism is not there is a God, that much is taken for granted. It's obvious and the Torah doesn't spend any time trying to prove it. And it's not even God created the world. It's true, the Torah starts with that story, but it doesn't really come up too often after that. And it doesn't really affect the way the religion is practiced. No, the great central claim in Jewish theology is that God spoke to the people of Israel at Mount Sinai, pledged to be their God, and began to give them a set of commandments to follow, thus bringing them into the covenant, which becomes the foundation upon which the rest of the religion stands. The whole idea that the, the Torah, this book we're studying together, is special, is uniquely divine, is the word of God, all of that is predicated on the revelation at Mount Sinai. As the rabbis put it in Pirkei Avot, Moshe kibel Torah misinai. Moses received the Torah at Sinai. Even though it's not like the people heard the whole Torah at Mount Sinai, right? They just heard the Ten Commandments, is what it says. In fact, immediately after the Ten Commandments, the people explicitly say, we've heard enough. You, Moses, you talk to God from now on, and we'll do what you tell us to do, but it's too much for us, too overwhelming. And so Moses goes up to the top of the mountain and stays there, famously, for 40 days and 40 nights. And that, presumably, is where he got the rest of the Torah. Or maybe, says another opinion in the Talmud, he only got some of it then and then proceeded to get more and more throughout the journey, every time he received a new message from God. And so he would write it down in parts. Torah Megillah Megillah Nitna, collecting scrolls which were assembled together after he died into a full Torah. And there are other theories of how exactly we got the Torah we have in front of us today. But whatever version of the origin story you prefer, they all come back 
to the revelation at Mount Sinai. It's this moment that justifies the claim that this book is special, that Moses' prophecy was unique. It's as if God is saying to everyone, yes, it's, it's really me here. Moses wasn't making this up. When he says he's speaking for me, you can trust him. And so we do. And so we treat the Torah, the whole Torah, the five books of Moses, as part of the ultimate revelation of God's will on earth. So it's hard to overstate the theological significance of this moment for Judaism, and so the importance of this Parsha in the Torah. It's as if this Parsha is the portal through which all the other Parshas emerge. So why not name this Parsha Parshat Sinai or Parshat Revelation? Let's give this reading a title befitting its majesty. Maybe let's just name it after God. But instead, this Parsha is named for Yitro, Moshe's father-in-law, Yitro, or Jethro in English, like Jethro Tull, the band. And he was a nice guy, I guess. Seems like he was always good to Moses, and we appreciate that. But was he that important to us? And more to the point, if this is the Parsha where Judaism really begins, isn't it an especially odd one to name after someone who wasn't even Jewish? I mean, that's a bit anachronistically put. They didn't have anything called Judaism or Torah yet. That's sort of what we've been saying. At that point, the people were just called the children of Israel. So they're a people, maybe beginning to be a nation. And Yitro comes from another people, another nation. But it isn't just that Yitro has a different national identity that makes his prominence this week so surprising. It's that Yitro is an active member of another religious tradition. The first time we meet him, he is referred to as Kohen Midian, a Midianite priest. And in the world of the Torah, a Midianite priest essentially means an idolatrous priest, a worshiper of other gods. You know, the very other gods that the second commandment is so insistent that we not worship. That's what Yitro does for a living. And lest you think he left that job behind, that's exactly how he's introduced again this week. Vaishma Yitro, Kohen Midian, Choten Moshe. Yitro, a Midianite priest, Moses' father-in-law, heard about everything that God had done for Moses and Israel, and so Yitro came to visit Moses where he was encamped, there by the mountain of God. And that's the verse from which the Parsha takes its name, Yitro. And so, the greatest moment of divine revelation that the people of Israel have ever experienced, the foundation of our entire religion, will be forever remembered with the name of a guy who didn't practice our religion at all and maybe even violated its central principle. Now, to be clear, there is a technical answer to our question. Every Parsha takes its name from the first or the most prominent word in the first or second sentence. In this case, the Parsha opens with Yitro heard, and so Yitro is the key word there, and that's just the way we name the Parshas. But then we can just ask the question in a different way, which is, 
Why does the Parsha with the most significant theological event in the Torah introduce itself with a story of Moses' father-in-law coming to visit? I mean, couldn't we save this nice little story for another time? Shouldn't we be more focused on the main event? What's Yitro doing here? Well, what is he doing here? What's he up to? As the scene begins, it looks just like a family visit. Yitro arrives with Moses' wife and sons, whom he's apparently been keeping safe during the Exodus. Moses goes out to greet them, they kiss and embrace, and then they sit down to eat, and Moses tells Yitro the story of everything that has happened to the children of Israel, everything we've been reading about. And Yitro rejoices and gives blessings, and it's all very sweet. But it's what happens the next day that Yitro is really known for. Moses goes back to work, so to speak, as the, the judge of all the people, Lishpot Ta'am. And the really striking thing is that he's the only one adjudicating disputes for the entire community. And we're talking over a million people. And so they just stand in line all day long, waiting to get a chance to talk to him. And Yitro sees right away that, as he puts it, Lo tova it's not good, this thing you're doing. You're going to wear yourself out, he says, and wear these people out as well. And so Yitro suggests an alternate system, a tiered system of judges, some dealing with minor disputes, some with more difficult cases, and then only the most unresolvable conflicts would come before Moses. It's not such a radical innovation, really. It just makes sense and actually sounds a lot like the way most justice systems are set up with lots of judges for different kinds of disputes in higher and lower courts. But what's especially important about Yitro's advice, in terms of the way the Torah works, is not so much what he says, but the fact that Moses immediately accepts it. And Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did everything he said. That's it. Yitro makes a suggestion about how to set up a better court system. Moses thinks it's a good suggestion, and so he immediately puts it into practice. And it becomes the judicial structure for the people of Israel from that point forward. All the laws that they're about to receive on Mount Sinai will now be adjudicated through this process, the one that Yitro recommended. And that means that the basic foundations of the Jewish justice system were laid out by a non-Jew. And not just any non-Jew, but one who, by his title and according to rabbinic tradition, had spent much of his life practicing idolatry. And the Torah records this not just anywhere, but in the chapter that immediately precedes the great revelation at Mount Sinai, and positions the story in such a way that that great revelation will be forever associated with Yitro, in a parsha that will even bear his name. And that means that at just the moment when the Torah is about to present us with its own founding event, the revelation that justifies the divinity of the entire Torah, and therefore seems to suggest that the only legitimate law is the law we got from God through Moses at Mount Sinai. At just that moment, the Torah pauses to let us know explicitly that actually we got some of our most important laws the laws that regulate the entire system from another source, a source outside of the covenant. We took legal advice happily 
from a wise friend who was not one of the children of Israel. Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai. Moses received Torah from Sinai, but he also received Torah from his father-in-law, a priest of Midian. And so did we, because this episode is recorded forever in our Torah. Yitro's advice is as much a part of the Torah as the Ten Commandments themselves. And it seems to me that this is the Torah's way of telling us not to get too fixated on any one moment of revelation, even as it's about to present us with the most transfixing revelation the world has ever known. Because there was nothing like the revelation at Mount Sinai, and there never will be. But Sinai is not the only moment of revelation. Moses is not our only teacher. And Judaism is not the only source of wisdom. So says Judaism's supreme source of wisdom, the Torah herself. And our rabbis, the same ones who said in Pirkei Avot that Moses received Torah from Sinai, taught later in the same volume, Ezehu Chacham, who is wise? Halomed Mikoladam, someone who learns from every person. Even an idolater, then, has something to teach us. And I think Moses himself would agree with that. And I also agree. I have to. It's in the Torah, after all. Best Book Ever was produced by Ben Cooley and edited by Vera Blossom, and our theme song is Pitchuli by Hillel Tige. You can listen to more of his beautiful music on iTunes and Spotify. And while you're there, why not subscribe to Best Book Ever if you haven't already? If you're interested in supporting this podcast and our work, you can visit us at ecar.org and donate or Venmo us at ecarla. That's I K A R L A. Thanks a lot, and see you next week.